This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan Peters, your host, and you're listening to Parent Footprint, a weekly podcast where our mission is to make the world a better place, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for parents to be happy, healthy, aware, and engaged themselves. Each week, our show will teach parents, families, educators, and caregivers how to parent with purpose and to leave their best footprint for the next generation. We'll talk to top parenting experts, doctors, therapists, authors, and of course, parents to gain information about how to parent with increased awareness and how to be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. We are excited to talk today about Make Social Learning Stick how to guide and nurture social competence through everyday routines and activities. I'd like to welcome my colleague, our guest, Elizabeth Sauter, to the show. Elizabeth is the co-director and co-owner of Communication Works. She's a licensed and certified speech-language pathologist who's been working with clients and their families since 1996. Elizabeth received her bachelor's degree from San Francisco State University and her master's degree from San Jose State University. And she's experienced in several areas, including autism, developmental disabilities, social cognitive deficits, and challenging behaviors. Elizabeth has worked with individuals ranging from preschoolers to adults in private practice, schools, and hospitals. And since 2001, Elizabeth has focused most of her career on social cognitive and self-regulation intervention and training. She's completed the mentorship and internship with Michelle Garcia Winner and has authored three books, Whole Body Listening Larry at School, Whole Body Listening Larry at Home, and Make Social Learning Stick, which we're going to talk more about today. In addition, her relationship with her sister and extended family members with special needs have made her work a lifelong endeavor and personal. She's an Oakland native and lives with her husband, her two sons, and her dog. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dr. Dan. I'm happy to be here. So good to have you here. So let's start by you telling our listeners, what work do you do at Communication Works? Sure. So um, we are a group of speech and language pathologists and an occupational therapist and educational therapist. And most people know about the traditional work of speech therapy and occupational therapy of fine and gross motor skills and speech and language. And we do all of that, but we're most known for our work in social communication and self-regulation. We do a lot of social groups and um, with groups of kids and the combination of social communication and self-regulation, which we call social regulation. So 
So social regulation is actually a combination of those two? So it actually was sort of came about naturally when an uh, occupational therapist that worked at our center, Leah Kuypers, who's an expert in self-regulation, and she's the author of The Zones of Regulation, we were asked quite a bit to present together, and we were developing slides. A lot of our topics were the link between self-regulation and social communication or sensory processing and social communication. And as we were developing slides, I had a really hard time weaning them out and how they were different because when you're sharing space with someone, they really go hand in hand like a marriage. So social communication is the act of conveying information or being effective in a social context and self-regulation is being able to control your own emotions and behavior. But really when you're sharing space, even us over the phone and to the listeners, if I was to have a huge meltdown right now or start laughing hysterically, you might have an uncomfortable thought and it would affect the interaction between the two of us. So realistically, the two of them together go hand-in-hand like a marriage, and we defined it as the skills needed to adjust one's level of alertness and modify how emotions and behaviors are revealed in order to achieve social goals. So it's a mouthful, but if you think about it, it's just inevitable that the two of them go hand-in-hand, and you can't really separate them when you're sharing space with one another. So basically, they're skills that people of all ages need to uh, have successful relationships in life? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we think about self-regulation as being able to control your emotions. It's, you know, also known as anger management or self-discipline or all those things which we know are very important for life and overall well-being. But there's lots of research that shows that this is also, these are also skills that affect academics and confidence and self-esteem because of the foundation. If, you know, if you're really excited or really anxious, then you're not going to be able to retrieve information from your teachers or complete assignments or from people around you. And then if you're not able to be successful socially or academically, then it obviously affects your mental health and, and well-being. So there's a lot involved with it, but um, it is extremely important for children and adults. You know, it makes me think about those concepts of emotional IQ and social IQ, which Absolutely. have become talked about more. I mean, are we basically talking about um, a similar concept? Yes, definitely. Most definitely. They're synonymous. So uh, this is a sort of an interesting thought. People aren't all just born with these skills? Some people, they come very innate, um, and it's just part of our development. You know, children learn from um, their environments and from their parents, and, um, you know, there's also temperament that we have to take into consideration. Some people have more adaptable, flexible temperament. Um, However, there's some children who have a more... um, challenging temperament, and then there's also some children who have diagnoses of autism or ADHD or sensory processing difficulties that then it would impede them from gaining these skills naturally because their brain is wired a little differently where they don't pick up on these skills innately and that's when it has to be taught and and modeled more intensely. Um, I mean, what's, we, when I do a full-day presentation, I talk a lot about the, all the different aspects of social regulation because on the self-regulation side, you have sensory processing, emotional regulation, and executive functioning. And then on the social communication side, you have joint attention, 
language processing, pragmatic language, perspective taking. These are all like the rules of communication and code switching and understanding um, the kind of comments you need to make and perspective taking is taking empathy or having empathy for someone and being able to understand their thoughts and feelings. And so it's very vast and complex. And when a child is having trouble in one of these areas, it will affect social regulation or emotional or social IQ. So as a parent, how would I know if my child is having some trouble in this area? What does it typically look like? Well, it, you know, it's different for all children and all people in various environments. And so, you know, you, I think that what I usually say, you have to look at developmental milestones and, um, and sort of go with your gut in knowing that your child might be exhibiting uh, more challenges in the area of um, interacting with other children or interacting with siblings. Um, or being able to partake in a preschool setting. Also, I would highly recommend parents talking to their teachers and um, you know other professionals involved to get a, a read on if there are these are just you know developmental phases and stages, or if it is a red flag and they might need to support uh, more intensely. You know, you're bringing up a really good point. I find these days um, we're all problem finders, uh, you know, even schools and in the medical profession, it's all about what's wrong. So yeah. sometimes a child could be exhibiting some difficult behavior and we're, we're sort of quick to rush in and call it a thing or a problem when it, you're, you're saying this could just be a developmental phase. It could be. I mean, all children, I mean, need mutual regulation when they're younger and in preschool. And, um, and you know, some children have a harder time with attachment um, and, you know, going off to preschool and different things, and they just need a little support in different areas. Um, and they then it just ends up being fine later on. Um, it's just something to watch carefully because there's really no, I mean, obviously the parent's Getting anxious about these things can affect the child, but if it's done in a mindful way, then, you know, get, gaining a little bit more information about what's going on and asking the teachers if they see any differences in their children, child compared to the others doesn't hurt anything either. So there's nothing wrong with getting information and asking others for, um, to observe their child. Sure, and the other th the thing that we're talking about here is anyone can be helped with developing skills, right? Like you don't have to have a label to have a need for getting some exercise with some skills that are that are seen as underdeveloped or are causing problems. Absolutely. And um, it's funny that you mentioned that because, um, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, unfortunately for the parents, a lot of our kids that we see at Communication Works do not have a diagnosis. And um, they can't get support in the schools without a diagnosis because they have to get the, um, go through the system of an IEP or a 504 to be able to get um, therapy or services. And so um, most of our kids that we see at Communication Works don't have, for, for social communication, don't have a diagnosis because they, uh, and they're not getting support at school, so they come to us. Um, and then, you know, we work with them where they're at developmentally and um, pair them with other kids that are working on similar 
uh, t- uh, concepts, and then they get to practice with their peers in how to manage their emotions or work in small groups, or we do a lot with play with the younger kids, and then the older ones are navigating dances and asking kids out and um, going off to college and whatnot. So it ranges for all the different areas, and it's forever changing. So that's another thing, too, is, um, you know, you can develop these skills, and obviously the parents need these skills as well so they can get the vocabulary and concepts to support their children in their natural environments. Um, And then it changes. They go off to middle school, and they start going from class to class, and they start having crushes and whatnot. So um, definitely keeps parents on their toes and us professionals as well. So you're you're talking about several different it sounds like strategies or modalities to help these kids learn and and it changes as they get older. So at first they might just need to uh, sidle up next to somebody and learn how to play next to them, and then they're sharing stuff, and then they're asking friends for play dates, and then they're going to classes. And so <laughs> as they get older and older, there there's we we continually have these new skills as humans that we need to learn. Absolutely. So what what can be done? Well, it depends. So this is one thing that I wanted to make a big point of. Within what we call the wheel of social regulation, all those things that I mentioned are involved. It's really important to do an assessment or ask a professional or really dig deep to figure out what the root of the challenge is. Um, It can be multiple, like, for instance, those with autism or Asperger's or ADHD, they can have challenges in a lot of those areas, Um, but sometimes it might be one of them. For instance, sensory processing is the ability to interpret and um, process information from your senses that come from your environment, and quite often we overlook this skill and uh, this system in our body, and, and it's the root of the challenge when it comes to, to self-regulation or social regulation because if a child or a person is not being able to take in the information from their environment, like they're overwhelmed by sound or um, they're, they're actually needing more physical touch, they might be the child that leans on the kids in circle time or is falling on the ground or um, is having... Um, seeking or avoiding behaviors around their sensory environment, and that might be the cause of what's going on. So it's very important to figure out the root of the challenge. Um, It could be speech and language issues. They're not understanding auditory information. So finding the root of the challenge and then getting support in that area from a specialist is what I recommend first. Um, Then when you know what that looks like, you can do work with a specialist, a therapist, or a coach, or a teacher, uh, either individually or in small groups. And there's a lot of curriculum out there that can support depending on uh, what the child needs. And then there's also accommodations that can be made. So once you learn more about what the child is um, having challenges with, then you can provide accommodations or modifications of the classroom environment or the home environment to keep them feeling more comfortable, which inevitably makes them more successful. And then there's the parent piece of it, too, is uh, educating the parent or the team involved and the teachers, too, so you can have common language and everybody, you know, what the child is learning, the parents can learn as well so that everybody can model and practice the same things and support the growth of the child so that they can succeed. 
Well, yeah, and you just went to exactly uh, what I was wondering, and I'm sure many of our listeners are wondering as parents, okay, so what can I do to help? I live with this child every day. I'm with them more than anyone. What can I do? Yeah, so um, so that is one of the reasons why I wrote the book, Make Social Learning Stick, because in our uh, center in Oakland, we have parent education or caregiver education as part of every session, either individually or in a small group. We work with the parents on how we trained the uh, children that day and what, what learning concepts we provided. And I realized that a lot of those concepts needed to be provided to a greater population. And there's so many books out there related to what is autism and what is ADHD and what is social uh, development or emotional IQ. And there wasn't very much out there on practically what can I do at home? What can I do in the morning to set them up for success? What can I do at the dinner table? What can I do um, for, you know, on vacation or at holidays or in the community? And so there is a lot that parents can do uh, in their natural environment in terms of using social thinking concepts and vocabulary or... um, curriculum that the children are learning, such as the zones of regulation. The parents can learn that as well. They can model it themselves, and they can provide the information for the child in their natural environment. Can you give me an example of that, one that is uh, that rings true or one that you see a lot? Absolutely. So um, I can give, I only give a couple of examples of, in the book, some of the learning strategies, and then which I put in the back of the book, um, there's so many strategies and curriculum that we as therapists learn, and I found that even myself as a therapist, or I call myself a momapist because I'm a therapist and a mom, which is kind of challenging sometimes, nice. even though I have a lot of skills, I like that. But it can be overwhelming. Um, but I find that I don't even use the curriculum that I know and teach some of my children at home. It's good for them to know, and it's good for schools to adapt, but sometimes it's just a lot for parents to take on. So what I put in the back of the book are some learning strategies that I do use all the time. And a couple of those, one of my favorites is um, briefing and debriefing, or what's called priming in our uh, curriculum world, and that is when you set a child up for what's, what, what's expected. So, for instance, if you're going to a birthday party, you would review what the plan of the day would be. So we're going to go to the store and we're going to buy a birthday present today um, for Johnny, and then we're going to go to his party, and then afterwards we're going to come home and we're going to have family time and blah, blah, blah. And then you would talk to them about some of the hidden rules that are some of the social secrets is what we like to call them our expectations of what's expected at the birthday party or and um, and go through those things and you can even role play or model so that the child is equipped for understanding what is expected at that situation. And then um, the debriefing part or what Rick Lavoie calls social autopsy um, is dissecting the situation after it's happened. So say, hey, wow, was Johnny's party great? The, um, the mom told me that you were really uh, helpful in, in, in um, divvying out the presents and, and um, helping 
cleanup afterwards. And um, I noticed at the end that when you asked if there was a party favor and there wasn't one, that you got really upset. And, um, you know, how do you think that that made the mom or the um, of Johnny feel that you left feeling sad about the party favor? Sometimes there'll be party favors and sometimes there won't. So doing this discussion of what happened afterwards can be really helpful. And I do this with my boys all the time. And I find that when I don't do it is when I'm like, oops, I didn't tell them we were going to that event or that it was going to be a big crowd of people and they were going to be on their own for a while. And that's when the anxiety spiked and I could tell that there were behaviors that happened. So priming and doing a social autopsy or what I call briefing and debriefing in the book are some of the learning strategies. Um, And then specific teachable moments, I just talk a little bit about the fact that we are with our children all the time in these social environments that have emotions that come up all the time, and they're called teachable moments. And just being aware of that is a learning strategy. And then what I've done in the book is divided it up into three different sections. One, the first one is at home, the second is community, and the third is holidays and special events. And just going through these um typical events that all parents go through, for instance, um, dinner or meal preparation. So instead of when you're in the kitchen and somebody's making dinner, instead of when your child comes in and says, what's for dinner, you could help them um, make inferencing, increase their inferencing skills by saying, well, what do you think? Let's make a, a guess. Look, can you smell? What do you smell? Mm, it smells like spaghetti sauce. And, oh, what do you see? Oh, I see water boiling and some spaghetti noodles out on the counter. Oh, what do you think we might be making? And these are essential skills for social and emotional because they have to be able to learn from their environment about what's going on around them to be able to then use skills um, that would be effective in the different environments. So that's constantly changing. And so if we take a step back and have our children make guesses in the kitchen or, for instance, Uh, what should I wear today Uh, in the morning when they're getting dressed? And uh, this is part of the morning routine. Um, Have them look outside and say, well, what do you think you should wear today? Does it look like it's hot outside? Oh, it's pretty windy today. I think it might rain. And then they make a guess of what clothes they should wear that day. Um, What What I love about your book is that it's so practical. And as I'm listening to you tell us about the strategies they're really about speaking out loud a lot of the things that we're thinking and priming our kids, right? Priming our kids for what's to come. And then I love the idea of a social autopsy and then taking it apart to see what happened. And as a parent like you, I think you highlighted one of the, the most challenging things that we have these days as parents is being mindful in the moment to stop and give ourselves the time and space to actually take our kids through this really helpful process that we sometimes just blow right through without thinking because we're busy. I know. All the time. I do it all the time myself. And I think to myself, like, hmm, I just, you know, shot out a whole bunch of commands at my son, and I know that declarative language are just saying, like, huh, look at the towel on the floor. I wonder where that should go. Then engages his prefrontal cortex and able to make that um, uh, do that skill himself of hanging the towel back up. But I'm constantly, because it's just so natural and easy to say, like, pick up your towel, brush your teeth, all these different things. And there's little things that we can do as parents to really help our kids develop these skills on their own and be more independent and successful. If there was one thing 
one thing that you could suggest that parents do to help their kids learning these skills, what would you suggest? One thing. Oh, that's hard. One um, thing. One thing. Okay, well, I already mentioned that finding the root of the problem, so that's a thing, but if I was to say one thing, um, I actually would, this would be something that focuses on the parent, which is taking care of yourself first. Um, because what happens, and I find this with myself all the time, is when I'm overwhelmed and I'm not caring for myself is the times that I don't have um, the capacity or the energy or the nurturing skills to give to my child. So, you know, you can gain all this information, you can read all the, the, the tools and strategies and uh, suggestions in my book um, about what to do and other strategies from other experts, um, but if you are not in that space of being able to pause and, like you said, be mindful, then it's almost impossible to retrieve this information and support your child in a way that they need to be supported. So I would say, you know, making sure that you can focus on yourself and your marriage and doing things that you know are the root of self-care for yourself is probably the one thing I would suggest if I had to say just one. <laughs> that is wonderful. That, that is a wonderful suggestion, and you just let us into the parent footprint moment of the show, which, to, which totally is aligned with what you just recommended. So the parent footprint moment is when I ask our guest about a parent footprint moment that they had where they became aware of something about themselves or something in this parenting situation with their child. And because of that increased awareness, their child benefited from their own personal awareness. Do you have one of those moments you'd like to share? Yeah. So on the note of taking care of self, I recently have had um, many curveballs thrown my way um, in the last six months to a year. And, you know, I've just been plugging away and standing at the plate and taking these balls, and some of them were hitting me and some of them were going by and I was trying to catch them. And, um and it wasn't until about a month ago that I realized that it was really affecting my family. I have an 8-year-old and an 11-year-old and one with ADHD. And, you know, he's um, first year of middle school this year and lots going on with him, crushes and the bullying situation and whatnot. And, you know, I felt like I was handling it well, but I really wasn't as present or regulated myself as I needed to be. And um, that was coming out in different ways uh, with my kids' behavior. You can imagine with two boys, one with ADHD, lots of energy in my house, and realizing that I wasn't managing it well or feeling calm when I was at home. And so it really made me realize that I needed to ramp up my own self-care so that I could retrieve the tools and strategies to help them. So I actually recently, I was fortunate enough, I have my partner's amazing and um, uh, business partner, and I've taken a little time off work, and my tools are going to yoga and meditating and hiking. Um, and so I've just talked to my family about needing that, and they realized right away that I was in need as well and completely supportive of that. And so, you know, within even a week, I could see a difference in myself and a difference in our family dynamics, and it's really gotten us back on track again. And um, so I sort of had to bench myself, <laughs> if you would say, and do the things that make me feel good. And, and I think that then... What I want for them is to see that they also need to do those things for themselves in terms of self-care. So if their mom is going to model it and they can sense that things are getting heightened and 
a little bit more energetic or stressful in the house, and then I'm taking the time and recognizing that the awareness was there, and then also um, I went ahead and did it. So it's it's been very helpful for me. So it's just back to the my footprint with being ramping up my own self care. That's awesome. That's awesome. And as you said, how can you even use the strategies in the book that you wrote if you're not aware of how you're feeling and what you're bringing to the situation? So that that's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So, Elizabeth, thank you. This is awesome. Great advice. Great topic. um, Great personal um, suggestions. And I appreciate you sharing it with our listeners. How can our listeners get a hold of you or learn more about you and what you're doing? Thanks for having me, Dan. It was definitely an honor. I love gathering and sharing information. I kind of call myself a butterfly catcher because I love to catch them and release them to other parents. So thank you very much. Um, for reaching me, so that my organization is Communication Works, and the website is cwtherapy.com, and my email is elizabeth at cwtherapy.com. And on that website, I do, myself and some other therapists do some blogging. It's more geared towards um, the general population or professionals, information that we're sharing, the work that we're doing at the center. And then I also have a website um, called Make Social Learning Stick, which has information about where I'm presenting. And I write a blog on there. I haven't written in a while with things being so busy. But um, I write a blog on there that has a little bit more to do with me being a mom and using these skills with my kids. So you can reach me at Make Social Learning Stick or cwtherapy.com. And then there's also a few Facebook pages that we um, support on a weekly basis. There's a Whole Body Listening Larry Facebook page and a Make Social Learning Stick and a communication one where we're sharing articles pertaining to the different areas of the work that we're doing. So I'd love to hear from people if there's any questions or feedback. And I highly recommend checking out Elizabeth Books, the one we talked about today, Make Social Learning Stick, How to Guide and Nurture Social Competence Through Everyday Routines and Activities. It's just filled with practical suggestions. So, Elizabeth, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for listening to the Parent Footprint Show with Dr. Dan today. To learn more about Parent Footprint, please visit us at www.parrotfootprint.com to contact us or leave us an email you can email us at podcast at parentfootprint.com thanks for listening today and i'd like to leave you all with the question what footprint do you want to leave